One of my favorite pictures that was taken of me is a picture I have of me with my nephew and my niece, Carly and Luke. It's when they were really small children. It was when I was able to still pick them up in my arms. And my sister took the picture when I was completely unaware. We were in their backyard, and and I was holding the two of them, and just at that moment, a passenger jet had passed overhead. And I I looked up, and and they looked up, and, and she snapped the picture, and she captured the three of us together, looking straight into the sky, amazed with wonder, watching that plane. What a warm and comforting memory that is for me. I imagine when Luke, the gospel writer, wrote some of the words we're going to read today, that that same thing was occurring inside of him in his mind as he captures a snapshot of the disciples looking up. Hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 24. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, verse 50 says, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And then they worshipped him. Luke goes into a great deal more of um, detail. And he says this. He was taken up before their very eyes in Acts chapter 1 verse 9. And a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. This is referred to as the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. That moment in time when the resurrected Christ reclaimed his rightful place before the throne of God. I imagine those disciples were much like Carly and Luke and me, eyes fixed on the sky with wonder and amazement. And much like that memory warms my heart still, it so captured the memories and the imagination of the disciple, disciples that they not only recorded it, but they also began to realize what it meant in a world where Jesus is not physically present. And we must realize what it means for us today. And this is what we must realize. Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, The understanding of the ascension is all throughout the New Testament. We we don't talk a lot about the ascension. We talk about the resurrection and Easter. We talk about Pentecost, which is next Sunday, and we'll talk about that next Sunday. We talk about incarnation, which is Christmas. But all throughout the New Testament, the ascension is talked about, it's discussed, it's, it's, it's brought to life in its meaning. And St. Paul, who was one of those who was not a witness to this that day, captures for us what this neck-in-the-sky moment really meant. In Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, this beautiful prayer, he prays this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as his mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, resurrection, 
and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, ascension. You see, from Paul's words, we see that the ascension is an affirmation of the resurrection power of Jesus. In fact, it is because of his lordship, as we see in his ascension, that the power of the resurrection is his incomparably great power for us who believe. This event in time so impacted the disciples. In that moment, they began to understand that Jesus Christ as Lord was Lord for their time and their lives. And in turn, they began to live their lives under and because of this one truth. Jesus is Lord. But what does that mean? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for you right now? What does it mean for me right now? Or as Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, the great Lutheran pastor from World War II, who was martyred under Hitler's regime, he asked it this way, who is Jesus Christ for us today? Let's think about that for a moment, and let's start here. Jesus is the finisher of what he starts. And because that's true, the future is in God's hands. Hear that. He's the finisher of what he starts. And because that's true, the future is in good hands. Let's start with the future. Nothing creates anxiety and angst more than an unsettled tomorrow. That is being proven true today, is it not? And understandably, an uncertain future is a place of increased stress and concern. But when we look at this picture here, look what we discover. This, this picture informs us as how we're to live in the present with an unknown future. Because the truth is this, are you ready? The future is always unknown. Now, these days we're living in may increase our awareness of what is unknown, and they may cause us to imagine unpleasant prospects for what is unknown. But the future has been and always will be a place of mystery. And unless we have some kind of present foundation for a future that's unknown and that's uncontrollable by us, it can be a source of great angst. But what about when Jesus is Lord? What about when Jesus is your Lord, my Lord? What about when he's even the Lord of the future? Well, I love how Luke captures the angels speaking to these disciples in Acts chapter 1. I, I, I actually do think it's a little humorous, but we'll get to that. Uh, hear what the angels said to the disciples. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And do you know what their words did? Their words snapped the minds of the disciples back to the words Jesus had already spoken to them previously. In fact, two weeks ago, Pastor Serena read some of those words to us. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And then what about the words we shared last week? Remember that favorite verse of mine in the passage from last week? I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Now, the expectation of these disciples at that ascension day, as they're gazing up, well, their expectation was this, 
that the best thing for them was for him to remain. And in their short-sightedness, they assumed that having him around when they wanted him to be around would be best. But what they failed to see was his ascension made him accessible when they needed him most, at all times and in all places. And that is because Jesus is Lord. As Christians, we live with the assurance that whatever our future holds, God will meet us there. And the ascension assures us that Jesus is not bound by time nor space and is fully available to us all, even transcending stay-at-home orders and social distancing and, and all kinds of other things, really. Speaking to a group of pastors this past week, Dr. Jess Mindoth said this, We do not take God where God is not. You heard us pray that in Pastor Shirley's prayer. We do not take God where God is not. There is no place where God is not at work right now. You see, that has been true of the past. It is true right now. And whatever we see happening around us, it is also our assurance for whatever lies ahead. We do not take God where God is not. Whatever our future holds, God will meet us there. And so there's something else that's also true. This ascension gives us a picture of the completion of Christ's earthly mission. And it tells us that he is a finisher of what he begins. Or as the scripture so beautifully put it, maybe you memorized these words as I did early on in my Christian life. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, the finisher of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God the Father sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, right? That's the ascension, right? Joy set before him. He is the pioneer and finisher of our faith. So when your heart is growing weary, and you know, our hearts, our minds, and our bodies in some ways are experiencing a weariness we have never experienced before. We need to just declare that, right? When your heart is growing weary, when you are growing weary, when you want to give up, when you're just not sure you can make it, run with perseverance the race marked out for you, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. And be assured, you and your future are in good hands Jesus is still working in your life and in our world because Jesus is Lord. As I said, the, the angels are humorous to me in many respects in Acts chapter 1. Here are the apostles. They're just, their necks are tilted upward and their mouths are gaping open. And what does the angel say? Don't you love it? Why do you stand here looking into the sky? My guess is the disciples are going, uh, come on now, really? You're asking us that question? But what a great question. Why, why are you standing here looking into the sky? The inference is that now is not the time to gawk skyward, hoping Jesus doesn't go, or that he's going to just come back right now. The inference here is to get your eyes off the sky and get them on the earth where you walk and where you live. And yes, 
now live with the realization of who Jesus really is. And when we live with the realization of who Jesus really is, we discover something else. Those who live with Jesus as Lord become the telltale sign that Jesus is Lord. So get your eyes off the sky, get your eyes on the earth where you live, where you move, and recognize that those who live with Jesus as Lord become the telltale sign that Jesus is indeed Lord. Now remember, just before his ascension, Jesus did not ask them to do the job of witnessing. He didn't say, develop some great church program so that you can change the world. He said, because of the Holy Spirit's presence and power, you will be my witnesses. Wherever you find yourself, wherever you find yourself, you will be my witnesses. Now, many people have written about the growth and the impact of the early church as evidence of the resurrection. And that argument is true and sound, and I affirm that. I believe that. Because nothing short of the actual resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus could possibly have created and motivated this movement called the church, the way of Jesus. But the reason that occurred was because of what the people became. They became witnesses. It was not something that was forced. It was not something that was programmed. It was not something that everyone waited for someone else to do. It wasn't the people waiting for the disciples to do their job. It was a product of their worship and their love of Jesus as Lord. And I need to ask myself, is that true of me? Alan Kreider has written beautifully about the impact of the early church, and he wrote these words. It was not Christian worship that attracted outsiders, that attracted those outside the church. Hear it again. It was not Christian worship that attracted outsiders. It was Christians who attracted them. The outsiders, though outside, those outside the church, those not part of those following Jesus, the outsiders found the Christians attractive because of their Christian habits. Hear it again. It was not Christian worship that attracted outsiders. It was Christians who attracted them. And outsiders found the Christians attractive because of their Christian habits. In other words, it was the lives they lived that were formed as a result of their worship of Jesus as Lord, as a result of their choices they made to be formed as his followers, as a result of their worship, as a result of their prayer, as a result of their being formed by Scripture, what we call their catechesis, their teaching, their learning, their growing, their discipling. As a result of that, their very lives became attractive. The church was attractive to the outsiders because, as Kreider says, their visibly interesting behavior that was the result of what was not seen. When I read that, I say to myself, is my behavior visibly interesting in such a way that it causes people to be attracted to Jesus? Their practices of worshiping Jesus as Lord so change them. Does, do my practices so change me that I become attractive? Wow. Here's what's amazing. With Jesus as Lord, our very lives are to be the telltale sign that Jesus came, that he is coming again, 
and that he comes even now to hearts that are open to his lordship. That even right now, he can raise to life again a dead heart with his grace and his forgiveness and his mercy. Thanks be to God. And that our very lives, our very lives together as the people of God, can make it possible to fulfill the words that Jesus spoke in John 17. That the world will know that God sent me, he said. The world will know that you sent me, Lord, and have loved them even as you have loved This is a crucial time for us, my friends. These are great days, crucial days for us to be witnesses to our world of a reality of Christ's presence. A great opportunity right now. The simple recognition that Jesus is Lord did something for them. It gave them freedom to live lives with generosity of spirit. Lives of sacrificial love and total surrender of their lives for the sake of others, just like the Lord they worshipped. And they themselves became the apologetic for Christian truth. Their very lives became sermons, if you will, revealing the truth of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus to you today? To me. You see, the world is depending on that answer. And that is because, all of this is because, first and foremost, the primary meaning of the ascension of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lord right now. Jesus is the Lord right now. Paul goes on in Ephesians, picking it up at verse 20, and he says, God seated Christ at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, And every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. What a statement that is. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He's far above every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, in those days, but also in the one to come, in our days. That, my friends, is a mouthful, and it gets to the heart of it, doesn't it? Jesus reclaimed his rightful place in the ascension. Remember the great hymn of Philippians chapter 2? It reminds us that Jesus came and he became nothing, making himself like a servant, taking on human likeness. Well, that great hymn in Philippians 2 ends with the reminder that Jesus also reclaimed everything. It says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess or acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The moment Paul penned those words, Jesus Christ as Lord, that was a near treasonous statement. Such a statement was an affront to the ruling powers of Rome of that day. And I think in some days, it's an affront to the ruling powers of our day. You see, after the death of Julius Caesar, his son Augustus Caesar declared his father was a god, and therefore he was the son of God. And this process was repeated Caesar after Caesar after Caesar for the most part. And when they would speak of the reigning Caesar, they would say this, Caesar is Lord. But in his ascension, Jesus Christ, in his ascension, 
The Caesars of the world, both then and now, were upstaged by him, by the one true king and Lord. And so the earthly Christian truth-tellers, these writers of the epistles, these witnesses, the earthly, early Christian truth-tellers reminded the world for all time that any trust in the powers of man was a misplaced trust. No matter the name, there's one name that's above all names. You see, the one true king, sovereign and Lord, was, is, and always will be Jesus. But this is why he is such a problem. As the Lord of all, Jesus demands allegiance. But here's the problem. He does not do, as David Young put it, kingly things. He doesn't do kingly things. He does not try to be a power monger, but he rather gives power away so that people can be the best they can be. He's not a political insider or mover and shaker, but dwells with the least of these. He does not insist on submission, but he invites us into surrender. He does not appease the strong and the rich and the powerful. He lifts up the weak and the poor and the marginalized. He does not demand his royal rights, but he seeks to do what is right for the sake of others. David Young said this, It might actually be difficult to imagine anyone looking less like a king than Jesus. And yet, the Lord of all still demands our allegiance. Are you ready? He demands our earthly allegiance. But not for power. Not for earthly gain. Not for self-serving rule and right. But rather... For grace, for mercy, for sacrificial acts of love. He, he, he demands allegiance to him that's expressed in those things. And that's why the church grew. That's why the outsiders were attracted to the early Christians. And it happened all because of this one truth. Jesus is Lord. And it wasn't their words or their stands that showed the world. It was their lives. These these strangely attractive lives. I wonder sometimes if it seems at times the church is so weak in our impact on our culture. It's because we have forgotten the kind of Lord we have. And the Lord we're actually called to worship and imitate. Jesus Christ is Lord. All of this returns me to the question Bonhoeffer posed at the beginning for us. Who is Jesus Christ for us today? Or maybe, what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord of my life right now? It is a piercing question, isn't it? Because it does recognize the need to surrender our allegiance to him. And not to ourselves or any other person, place, or thing. And it calls me to seek to realize his vision of his kingdom, not my vision for his role in the world as I want him to be or how I expect him to work in my life, but rather remember the prayer, his kingdom come and his will be done. I remember that day when I held my niece and nephew 
and stared into the sky. And my heart was warm then and is now. But now I stare into the sky and I'm reminded that my life and my world are held by the Lord of all. And my heart and my life are stirred to live for him and for the world, a world like ours, to see him through me. What about you? Jesus is Lord of all. Amen. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord God, for your lordship. We thank you, Lord God, that you are the one who's the finisher of our faith and the one who holds our future. You are the one that so impacts our lives with grace that that's what the world gets from us in return. We confess to you the times when we're less than that. We rejoice in the times when you are that through us. May that be more. But it's all because you are the Lord. And so today we declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory and praise of God the Father. Now may our lives reflect that to our world right now, this moment, in this opportune time, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you today for gathering together as here we are as his people. Receive this benediction and I would invite you to Maybe just hold your hands open. Just invitation. It's a posture of receptivity. Every occasion when I'm in prayer, I try to hold my hands open in silence and just imagine what God wants to give to me. So today, maybe you can just hold your hands open and receive this benediction. And now may the Lord, Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all, May he hold you and all your cares and concerns, your past, your present, and your future. May he hold you. And may he finish what he's begun in you. And may you permit a new beginning in you for him to finish. And may your very life become for the world a sermon, the evidence, a revelation a curiously visible life, behaviors that point to Christ. May your life become all of that. And may today you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord. To the glory and praise of God the Father. Amen. Amen. God bless you. May you walk in the power and the presence of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Have a good day. Enjoy this weekend. Be safe this weekend. And may we remember those who've given of themselves for us and let us go and do likewise. God bless.